Happy Sabbath to you all. Happy Sabbath, church family. Um, I was really, really blessed recently. Uh, I had the uh, privilege of attending our 11 days of prayer. Normally it's called 10 days of prayer, but we added on an extra day. Uh, so it was 11 days of prayer, and I was really blessed uh, to be able to pray with some of you all. Um, it was my first time ever actually going to something like that. I had heard of like uh, going and having long seasons of prayer, 10 days of prayer, but I'd never been to one personally, and it was a rich blessing. And actually, um, these resources that I have on the screen, um, these books are so powerful, and I hope that one day you guys can get your hands on these, and maybe some of you have actually seen these books before. Yeah, some of you. Um, the first one here on the left is a book called Daring to Ask for More by Melody Mason. It's a super powerful book, and it's just like one of those books you can't put down. It's so good. A lot of really amazing information. And then the other book here on the right, how many of you guys have ever heard of Pavel Goya? Ever heard him speak? Uh, yeah, he has some incredible stories to share. And so the book on the right is also um, about prayer, um, but it is more in story format. And so it's just an incredible story. His personal testimony of uh, living in communist Romania and the experiences he had there. Um, he's definitely a man of prayer. So really awesome resources. And a lot of the thoughts and ideas uh, from today's, today's message are from these, these resources, from these books. So uh, that being said, let's open with a word of prayer. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you now and we thank you so much for the privilege of prayer. And I pray, Lord, that we as a people would come uh, to be filled by you every day uh, so that we can pour out into those around us. Thank you so much. In your name we pray. Amen. Awesome. So once there was a professor who pulled out a large glass jar filled with fist-sized rocks. She then asked her class a question. Is the jar full? And her class pretty much immediately responded with a yes. The jar looks pretty full to us. But then the professor brought out a pail of pea-sized gravel and shook that pea-sized gravel into the jar, down and around the larger rocks. She then asked, is the jar full now? And her students at this point had caught on rather quickly, and they said, probably not. The jar is probably not full. She then brought out a container of sand and poured it into the jar, filled all the cracks around the small and large rocks, and then she asked her class, what about now? No, they responded with certainty. It's still not full. She smiled. You're right. She said as she brought out a pitcher of water, so she brought out a pitcher of water and she poured it into the jar and the water soaked down through the sand and around the rocks. Then she stepped back with a smile and she asked, so what am I trying to teach you through this object lesson? One student piped up and said, you're telling us that no matter how busy we are, we can always squeeze a little more into our schedule. And everyone laughed at that. But she shook her head and she said, actually, what I am kind of trying to show you through this object lesson is that you need to learn to put the big rocks in the jar first. You put the big rocks in the jar first, and then you fit in everything else around them. You have to set your priorities consciously. Otherwise, the details of life, the sand, the gravel, 
will swallow up all of your time. It's kind of a little illustration here of what happens if you put your sand and your gravel in first, right? If you fill up your jar with gravel and sand first, you won't have space for your big rocks. So it is with our own lives. Spiritually, physically, financially, and emotionally, we need to learn to prioritize and put the big rocks, the most important things in our lives, in the jar first, before they get crowded out by the mundane details of life. We often fool ourselves into thinking, and I'm so guilty of this personally, we often fool ourselves into thinking that serving God is the equivalent of knowing God, but it's not. God is calling us to be with him before we go and serve him. And we kind of see this idea illustrated in this verse. Mark 3.14 says, <clears throat> look at my computer here, and he ordained twelve that they should be with him and that he might send them forth to preach. But first we see, right, that they must be with Jesus before they can go out and preach. And inspiration warns, beware how you neglect secret prayer and the study of God's word. Sorry, I didn't switch slides there. Beware how you neglect secret prayer and the study of God's word. These are your weapons against him who is striving to hinder your progress heavenward. The first neglect of prayer and Bible study makes easier the second neglect. How many of you have found this to be true in your own lives? If you say one day, I'm going to just skip out on prayer this one time, I'm going to skip on my devotions, it just makes it easier the next time. It actually reminds me of college a lot because if you discovered that you could just like skip a class, it was so easy to skip more classes throughout the rest of the, rest of the semester, right? And I remember that. I would, uh, you know, there were some classes I knew I had to be there, but then there's other classes I wasn't sure, and I would like skip a class, and then all of a sudden I'd skip another class, skip another you know, kind of a new thing I discovered. You know, don't really do that in high school, but in college, you know, you're just kind of doing your own thing. In Matthew six thirty-three, it says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. And I'll tell you this, friends. As we learn to prioritize God and make our time with him our priority every day, we will discover that everything else will start to run more smoothly. Instead of taking all day to accomplish a project, it will take just a few hours because we are running on supernatural strength and divine wisdom. Instead of feeling anxious and stressed, although many things obviously demand our attention every day, you know, uh, we will have perfect peace because we know that God is in control. While it doesn't always make sense by our own human standards, uh, whenever we give to God, he always gives us much more in return. And that idea is found in the book of Psalms, right? Psalms 37, verse 4 says, <clears throat> Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. So we're going to talk a little bit about what are some steps that we can take. What are the steps that we take to protect that quality time with Jesus every day? Um, and so there's actually five steps that we're going to go to, uh, that we're going to go through. And the first step out of our five is find a solitary place. Find a solitary place. Mark 1.35 says, And in the morning, rising up a great while before day, he went out and departed into a solitary place and there prayed. And I'll tell you, it is so helpful to have 
your own personal place to meet with the Lord. And that can be your favorite chair, or it can be a literal closet. And I actually have an image here up on the screen. Sorry, it's not that big, but you can see this is someone's prayer closet. You see they got a, a bookshelf there, and they got some, uh, some of their reading material. They got a little pail with highlighters and pens. They have a jar with some lavender in it, it looks like. That must smell nice. And uh, then they have kind of some sticky notes on the wall, and there could be prayers on there. There could be Bible verses. Um, there could be things that you learn from your own personal devotions. So you could even be in a literal, a literal closet, a place where you can be alone with God. And I want to actually tell you a little bit about the Chapman family. Now, the Chapman family, they have eight children that are still at home, and they homeschool. So as you can imagine, the house is just busy all the time, people running around doing this and that. And so the Chapman family realized something. They needed to find a way to safeguard their personal time with Jesus. And so to do that, they came up with a solution. They built a little cabin on their property. And honestly, it's kind of more like a tool shed, but it is really nice. And this place is reserved specifically for the parents and then the older children to take turns having solitary time with God and to read the Bible and pray without distraction. Really cool. What an inspiring example of a family, you know, that realizes that, you know, it's hard to find time uh, alone with Jesus when there's people all around. So they prioritize that solitary space where you can meet with the Lord, right? Really inspiring. Um, and it's really important to mention this. This is not some type of shrine or anything, right? God is not confined within walls or buildings. God is not confined even here to this church, right? God goes with you wherever you go. He does that by sending his Holy Spirit with you wherever you go. Um, the point is this. If you have a designated appointment spot, it's sometimes easier to remain, uh, you know, undistracted, right, uh, during your time with him. And if you don't have a place, sometimes you can end up in a place like this. Oh, no. This has happened to me so many times. I'll sit down at a desk with a bunch of stuff on it, and I'll tell you, if I sat down at a desk like this, I would be refilling my mechanical pencil. I would be cleaning my glasses. Um, I would be looking at my sticky notes, talking about what, you know, the, that I had written the previous day, telling me what I had to do that day. And, oh, deadliest of all, the computer, right? You get on that thing, there's no turning back, it seems, right? So sometimes it's great to have a solitary place where you can get away from those things. And actually, kind of a thing, this, I didn't intentionally do this, but this is just kind of how it worked out for me. I actually have two desks in my house. Really lucky, I don't know how I ended up with two desks. Um, one was given to me, and then I purchased the other one. And I have one desk for devotions, and then I have the other desk for work. It's super nice. I love it. I love it. And it works for me. So, um, anyways, we move on now to our second step. Our second step. Go to bed at a reasonable hour. Man, I almost didn't put this one in there, honestly. <laughs> Man, I, uh, I don't know about you all. And everyone has different amounts of sleep that they require. Um, but I require eight hours of sleep, pretty much, I'd say. And um, then also, it's kind of like a dangerous combo where I require eight hours of sleep, but I also don't always like to go to bed early. And uh, so this one, um, I'm so thankful that truth is not based on my feelings, though. And the truth is that it is important to go to bed at a reasonable hour. And you do that to protect your daily time with Jesus. 
Okay? Now, this is really interesting, and, uh, oh, we have a verse here. Mark 1, verse 35 says, In the morning, long before sunrise, Jesus went to a place where he could be alone to pray. And I believe the desire of ages, and I may have shared this with someone the other day, um, uh, the desire of ages says that the sun never found Jesus sleeping. And I'm kind of paraphrasing here, but I mean, that is pretty profound, right? It's like the sun is always trying to catch Jesus asleep, but it never does, right? So <clears throat> um, inspiration actually tells us that the hours before midnight are twice as beneficial as what we get after midnight. Mm. So maybe getting some hours before midnight, right, um, would be a good investment. Um, and I'll tell you, a lot of times when we don't plan ahead the night before, it can be very difficult to get up and spend time with God because we're just simply too tired to do so. And, um, you know, sometimes when we choose to do our own thing, we choose to do our own thing late into the night, we have already made that choice. We've already made that choice to put God in the back seat the next day. Um, I watched um, this series when I was a kid uh, called uh, Anne of Green Gables or something. It was like a movie series. I don't know if they've remade it several times, but I remember the one that I watched, I really enjoyed it. And she always had a saying, I think she always would say, today's a new day with no mistakes in it. And that's actually a really cool motto to live by. But the truth of the matter is, is that we make a lot of decisions today that can affect our tomorrow. Would you say that's true? Right? And so, um, Sometimes, right, when we stay up late doing our own thing, not protecting that time with God, we can put him in the back seat for the next day and make decisions for the next day, and we aren't even there yet, right? So be intentional about saying no to some things at night, and that can give you, of course, an opportunity to say yes to the Lord in the morning. Ian Bounds writes this. He writes, The men who have done the most for God in this world have been early on their knees. He who fritters away the early morning, its opportunity and freshness, and other pursuits than seeking God, will make poor headway seeking him the rest of the day. If God is not first in our thoughts and efforts in the morning, he will be the last place the remainder of the day. There's a minister by the name of uh, Robert M. Chain. He's a minister in—he was a minister in Scotland in the 1800s, and he actually struggled with making early prayer a habit. Um, but he could always tell um, the difference when he did and when, versus when he didn't, right? And uh, I think that most of us can relate to his thoughts uh, when he says, I ought to pray before seeing anyone. Often when I sleep long or meet with others early, it is 11 or 12 o'clock before I begin sacred prayer. This is a wretched system. It, it is unscriptural. Christ arose before day and went into a solitary place. David says, early will I seek thee. Thou shalt early hear my voice. Family prayer loses much of its power and sweetness, and I, can do, and I can do no good to those who come to seek for me. The conscience feels guilty, the soul unfed, the lamp not trimmed, and when in secret prayer, the soul is often out of tune. I feel it is far better to begin with God, to see his face first, to get my soul near him before it is near another. Really profound. And I really like how he, that ends there to seek his face first, to get my soul near him before it is near another. So, what does this mean, though? I mean, uh, are we to feel guilty when we aren't able to have devotions that day because we missed our alarm clock? Absolutely not. And I would say, actually, that devotions are, and that time with Jesus is to remind us that we're to live guilt-free lives, that we don't have to walk around with the burden of sin. And so sometimes, actually, missing that time 
just can be hard because, you know, that time is there so that we can remember that relationship with Jesus, his sacrifice for us, gives us freedom throughout the rest of the day to live to the fullest extent of, of you know, our potential, right? So, <clears throat> whenever your day starts, even if you work night shift and get up at four in the afternoon, try to make it a priority to give, get up early enough to have that sacred time, that undistracted time with God before you begin your daily duties. And uh, if you don't think that you can get up, you can just ask God to wake you up. He'll do it if you give him permission. How many of you ask God to wake you up and then he wakes you at an hour that you wouldn't have originally chosen to wake up at? That uh, happened to me like two weeks ago. I asked God to get me up and he woke me up at 4.30 a.m. And uh, I was like wide awake too. I like couldn't go back to sleep. Um, Isaiah 50 verse 4. That was our scripture reading for today. And we're actually going to read a few verses beyond that. Um, Isaiah 50 verse 4. Really powerful verse. It's a verse, uh, actually, that Mo brought up uh, in our prayer time during 11 days of prayer. Um, it starts off uh, with, The Lord God hath given me the tongue of the learned, that I should know how to speak a word in season to him that is weary. He wakeneth morning by morning, he wakeneth mine ear to hear as the learned. Wow. And then it continues on, right? And this, I believe the continuance of this is the result of what we just read. He's wakening morning by morning. He's hearing the words of the Lord spoken directly to him. The Lord God hath opened mine ear, and I was not rebellious, neither turned away back. I gave my back to the smiters and my cheek, cheeks to them that plucked off the hair. I hid not my face from shame and spitting, for the Lord God will help me. Therefore shall I not be confounded. Therefore have I set my face like a flint, and I know that I shall not be ashamed." We think about Christianity and the Reformers, um, the Protestant movement, and what people went through because of their beliefs. And people um, were persecuted, uh, tortured, and even gave up their lives for what they believed in. They were able to set their face as a flint, as a rock, so that they did not turn away from what they believed in, but they standed firm. How is it, though, that we think that we will be able to stand like they did if we do not have what they had. So often, we believe that we know him when really we just know of him, right? It takes that personal time. It takes that personal time. And actually, I don't know if you guys have read Pilgrim's Progress, profound book, and if you read the old English one, then you're amazing because I cannot get through three pages of the oldest English version of Pilgrim's Progress. I don't know if you guys have ever tried to uh, go through that, but uh, I, I like the, the revised one where it's the, it flows a little better, reads a little easier. But John Bunyan, an author, the author of Pilgrim's Progress, once stated, he who runs from God in the morning will scarcely, scarcely find him the rest of the day. And so I pray that this wouldn't be our testimony. And I'll tell you, first, one of the first devotional books that I read as a newly converted Christian was in high school. I read Steps to Christ, and I still remember reading this Consecrate yourself to God in the morning. Make this your very first work. All right. Well, now we move on to the third step. The third step is be still. Don't get distracted. Don't get distracted. When you get up in the morning, it is absolutely vital that you avoid turning on the radio, the television, the news, or any distracting noise that will pull your attention away from God. And we were actually talking about this during our um, 11 days of prayer 
Uh, people were talking about how it's just so easy. You wake up and you like check your phone and then all of a sudden, where's the time gone? Or your, your attention is pulled away to other things, right? Refrain from checking your emails and your text messages, if possible, before you have your time with God. It makes a huge difference in the quality of your devotional time. And one thing that is really, really helpful that I have recently started doing is if you find in your devotional time that you keep having thoughts where you're just interrupted by things that you need to do that day, like, I need to make an appointment with this person. I need to, like, make sure this gets done. What you can do is you can take a second and you can jot those things down on a sheet of paper quickly and then lay it aside. And then you can return to your devotional time. It's an awesome way to stay on track, to stay focused, right? So one last thing to mention before we move on is moms and dads. And obviously I'm not a parent, but I do understand the idea that like as parents, right, when your kids wake up, uh, when your kiddos are up, it's like nonstop until they go to bed, right? I understand that idea. And I understand that parents a lot of times can have a hard time finding that devotional time. That's why mornings are so uh, critical. That's like an, uh, a real, that's like your main opportunity to spend time with Jesus. But just remember, and this is something I wanted to mention, even if as a parent, like say you start your devotional time and then, you know, uh, you, you know, your, your child, you know, wakes up, you know, um, like five minutes into your devotional time or 10 minutes into your devotional time, God honors your sincere efforts right? And he can multiply the blessings of that time. And so you don't need to fret, you don't need to worry, because he can multiply the blessings just as he multiplied the fishes and the loaves, right? So even if you only find that little bit of time, right, in the morning, God honors your sincere effort, right? So moving on to the fourth step now. The fourth step is to have a plan each day of how we are going to spend time with God. Okay, so obviously, um, it's really important that you follow the Holy Spirit's lead, and you're open to the Holy Spirit's lead. He might be leading you to study this or do this or that on any given day. But also, it's important to have a plan of how you're going to spend time with God. That way, uh, when you wake up, you won't get distracted with trying to figure out how you're going to spend time with God. And I'll tell you this, this is kind of a personal testimony, it is so much easier for me to get up in the morning when I know what I'm going to, because I'm excited to go to it. Because I'm like, I know I'm going to go, and I've already like planned out this. I'm going to study. You know, right now I'm uh, reading through the book of Romans, and then I'm using um, a kind of like a commentary um, written by this guy uh, and uh, named E.J. Wagner. And uh, I like reading that along with the book of Romans, and that's kind of what I go to every morning. I know that's what I'm going to go to. I'm so really excited to wake up and, and go for it. So, Um, having something set um, in place already can really be beneficial. And one thing that is super important to remember, of course, another important thing to mention is there isn't a right or wrong way really to have devotions. It's mostly just important that you have them. But if you're, you want to, of course, make sure that you incorporate two crucial things, and that is Bible study and prayer, right? Those two things go hand in hand, We shouldn't neglect one or the other. They both go together. Starting your day with God just seems natural. Also, it's really great to ask uh, for the Holy Spirit as you're studying God's Word because He can bring passages to light 
that will help you um, get through your day. Or like, for instance, the Holy Spirit might bring something out of a text that is particular to you in that situation that you're dealing with in that moment, right? So, never should the uh, Bible be studied without prayer. Um, Great Controversy has some really awesome thoughts uh, when it comes to prayer and um, Bible study. Um, If we go here into the next slide, it says, The Holy Spirit alone can cause us to feel the importance of those things easy to be understood or prevent us from resting truths difficult of comprehension. And basically, resting means um, to distort the meaning of or to change uh, the interpretation of something to fit your own, someone's agenda, right? <clears throat> it is the office of heavenly angels to prepare the heart so to comprehend God's word that we shall be charmed with its beauty, admonished by its warnings, or animated and strengthened by its promises. So here we see that prayer and Bible study go hand in hand. We should make the psalmist's petition our own. Open thou mine eyes that I might behold wondrous things out of thy law. So we ask the Lord to open our eyes, and then we are able to behold wonderful things from his word. Continue on in the great controversy here. Temptations often appear irresistible because through neglect of prayer and the study of the Bible, the tempted one cannot readily remember God's promises and meet Satan with scripture weapons. But angels are round about those who are willing to be taught in divine things. And in the time of great necessity, they will bring to their remembrance the very truths which are needed. Isn't that a blessing, friends? Thus, when the enemy shall come in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord shall lift up a standard against him. Now, um, as we're continuing discussing prayer, um, right, which prayer and Bible study go hand in hand, it's really important to mention that a type of prayer is song or praise, right? And actually, in child guidance, it says singing is, much, singing is as much an act of worship as is prayer. Indeed, many a song is prayer. And I think that sometimes in congregational singing, we're just like singing along with everyone else. But a lot of times when you sing on your own, you listen really closely to the words of the song. And a lot of times, right, it's so easy to memorize songs. We can know like all the lyrics to a song. We can learn that fairly easy, much it's much different than just trying to memorize something, you know, without music, right? So music actually can help us to memorize things. And when you're praying, you can sing a song and those lyrics in that moment, right, might pop out to you and mean something to you that they never met before, even though you were singing that song your whole life, right? That's something I found to be true in my own life. Now, here's another little fun uh, thing that you can add to this. Flashcards, right? These, uh, Obviously, like, there's so many things to pray for. There's so many people, uh, um, right, that are on our prayer list. And one thing that you can do is you can write those prayer requests on flashcards, and then you can put also a memory verse um, along with that request um, that fits with that specific prayer request, right? And you can put those on a key ring so they don't get lost. That way they're all together, and then they can be carried with you wherever you go. And then, once a specific request is answered, and I really love this part, you can get that specific request that was answered, and you can drop it into a jar. And you can put that jar somewhere, like on a shelf, and you can literally watch, like, your prayers being answered, right? And we actually talked about that a little bit in our time together in 11 Days of Prayer. We are talking about how we request a lot of things, right? We come before God, and we present our request, 
But a lot of times we don't hear about the answered prayers, right? And we don't acknowledge the fact that God was working, that God did answer those prayers. After prayer time, we've been talking about prayer, right? But after prayer time, we should engage in focused Bible study. You can study out a specific topic or story. You can use cross-references, commentaries. Um, You can also use the Conflict of the Ages series. That's like a literal gold mine. Incredible, uh, incredible aid to your study of God's Word, the study of God's Word. Um, But of course, no book is to replace the Bible in your devotional time. And this thought is illustrated here in Steps to Christ. There is nothing more calculated to strengthen the intellect than the study of the scriptures. What? Wouldn't that be like a chemistry book or something? I mean, you know, I mean, if I wanted to strengthen my intellect, wouldn't I read some Greek philosopher's writings on this or that, right? But no, the scripture, nothing is more calculated to strengthen the intellect than the study of scriptures. And this isn't just talking about increasing in spiritual knowledge. This is talking about life, guys. This is talking about your everyday life. No other book is so potent to elevate the thoughts, to give vigor to the, to the faculties as the broad, ennobling truths of the Bible. If God's word were studied as it should be, men would have a breadth of mind, a nobility of character, and a stability of purpose rarely seen in these times. Amen? So, when you look to the word, here are some questions that you can ask. How can I apply this to my life today? And what is God trying to teach me through this passage today. And there's actually a lot of different ways that you can approach scripture, and there's um, some different methods. Um, You could probably ask, um, uh, you know, uh, our Bible workers about this. There's ways to approach approach scripture so you can look at a verse, and you can get, like, the max out of it, um, which we'll never get the full full benefit of a verse, you know, just from one sitting, because there's always new things, you know, coming out of a reading of a passage, even if you do it multiple times throughout your life, right? But um, there's ways that, there's questions that you can ask that will help you to draw out tr- precious truth from that, from that passage, from that scripture. So, Desire of Ages, page 390. I love this. It says, as our physical life is sustained by food, so our spiritual life is sustained by the word of God. And every soul is to receive life from God's word for himself. As we must eat for ourselves in order to receive nourishment, so we must receive the word for ourselves. We are not to obtain it merely through the medium of another's mind. If you eat, does that mean that your friend has also eaten? No, right? They can't gain nutrients from the nutrients that you just swallowed, right? So it's the same with the study of God's word, okay? We should carefully study the Bible, asking God for the aid of the Holy Spirit, that we may understand his word, We should take one verse and concentrate the mind on the task of ascertaining the thought which God has put in that verse for us. We should dwell upon the thought until it becomes our own, and we know what saith the Lord. Here's the beautiful thing about your walk with Jesus. It's different than everyone else's. When you come to a passage, you're gaining a blessing from that passage that other people might not have gained, right? And when you praise him, your voice is different than everyone else's. Uh, When you pray to him, your prayers ascend to him, and they are totally different and unique compared to the person next to you on your right or on your left. And if you look at economics, right, we talk about supply and demand. If there's short supply of something, it really increases its value. Since you're the only version of yourself that exists, 
wouldn't that mean that there's an infinite value placed upon you, right? It kind of sheds a little bit of light into the idea of Jesus coming to die for just one person, right? Well, he actually views you as that valuable. You as an individual, your praise is unique. Your prayers are unique. The way that you look at scripture and, the way, and what it means to you is unique, right? So you are, as a person, irreplaceable. And um, we see that everyone's value here is skyrocketed through the roof um, because you're the only version of you that exists. And God values um, what you take away from um, scripture as you study scripture in your own personal time with him. And um, also he values your own individual prayers um, and uh, your supplication. So um, let me see here. Where where are we? Oh, yes. uh, We're at the end of this. Um, we should dwell upon the thought until it becomes our own, and we know what saith the Lord. Going on here, continuing on, uh, it says, in his promises and warnings, Jesus means me. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that I, by believing in him, might not perish, but have everlasting life. The experiences related in God's word are to be my experiences. Prayer and promise, precept and warning are mine. I am crucified with Christ, This is a promise I've been claiming a lot uh, lately. Um, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Galatians 2, verse 20. As faith thus receives and assimilates the principles of truth, they become a part of the being and the motive power of the life. The word of God received into the soul molds the thoughts, and enters into the development of character. Guys, the word is alive. It has power. It can literally come in and change you. And we talk about the word, like, you know, the word is, is like a, a two-edged sword. I mean, and it, I almost like to compare it to like a scalpel. Like, it's literally going in and performing surgery on you. Like, it's literally changing you, and your character, right, is developing and you are reaching your full potential in Christ as you read the living words off of those precious pages, right? Okay, where are we now? By looking constantly to Jesus with the eyes of faith, we shall be strengthened. God will make the most precious revelations to his hungering, thirsting people. They will find that Christ is a personal Savior. Amen? As they feed upon his word, they find that it is spirit and life. The word destroys the natural earthly nature. Again, we see the living, transforming power of the word right? And imparts new life in Christ Jesus. The Holy Spirit comes to the soul as a comforter. By the transforming agency of his grace, the image of God is reproduced in the disciple. He becomes a new creature. Love takes the place of hatred, amen? And heart, and the heart receives the divine similitude. This is what it means to live by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. This is eating the bread that comes down from heaven, right? And what a tall order, right? Living by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God? Wow, that sounds exhausting, right? No, it's not, because that's not the correct interpretation of it. The word changes you. The word changes you. This is what it means to live by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. I just put this photo in here. I honestly don't know why. I just like, you're, you're sitting at a feast, right? Every morning when you, uh, are waking up and you're opening those precious pages, you are sitting at a feast. So that was the idea behind putting this picture up there. Hope you don't mind that. (laughs) Okay, so we're on to our fifth step.
The fifth step is to make your time with God a non-negotiable. And there's actually a story of a man who was invited um, to have a dinner with a very high-ranking official, a dignitary, right? And so he's invited to this very, very special dinner. It was considered a great honor um, because it would take people that wanted to meet with this person would have to wait months and months or may never have gotten the chance to meet with him at all. Um, but this young man was invited to meet with this dignitary. And so they sat down, they ate, and they enjoyed themselves. And of course, lots of conversation back and forth, questions being asked. Um, but before the evening was over, the young man rose up and he was preparing to leave. And the important official was kind of uh, almost like offended because he said, you know, the night is still young. Why are you leaving? You know, people wait for so long to uh, be able to, uh, you know, uh, hang out with me, <laughs> you know, to be able to, you know, meet with me, spend time with me, ask me questions. And uh, don't you realize what an important man I am and how many people beg to, how many people beg to spend time at my table? And then the young man replied with this, and I find this really inspiring. This is actually a true story. The young man replied, I don't mean to offend you, sir, and I feel very honored for this time together, but I have an appointment with the king of the universe now, and I dare not be tired, and I dare not be late. Wow, right? What a powerful example of someone valuing that divine appointment. You might be thinking, yeah, but it seems like there could have been a little exception here. After all, this man was an important person. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> he was an important person. He could always, that young man could have always spent time with God later, right? God would surely understand. And the truth is, God does understand. He understands that we are weak, we are frail, and we are in desperate, desperate need of a continual connection with him. A connection that needs to be stronger than earthly ties and more important than all earthly honor. Prayer is our divine appointment. When we miss it, we are putting ourselves on the enemy's ground. There's no other way, by, there's no other, uh, way to say it. Um, the darkness of the evil one, this is from Steps to Christ. Inspiration tells us the darkness of the evil one encloses those who neglect to pray. The whispered temptations of the enemy entice them to sin. And it is all because they do not make use of the privileges that God has given them in the divine appointment of prayer. After morning devotions are over, God is to go with us. He is to abide with us. Like Enoch, we may learn to walk with God each day. When problems arise, we're to pray. Right? We may keep so near to God that in every unexpected trial, our thoughts will turn to him as naturally as the flower turns to the sun. How many of you guys have ever seen a full field of sunflowers do a whole complete 180? And just, just to make sure that they get the, some of those sweet rays of sunshine. How many of you guys have ever seen that before? Right? Yeah, it's amazing. And the same, it can be the same for us. Um, we can be so, we can be in a place where we're so reliant on God and we, our relationship, and we're so in, to, in tune with him that we turn to him um, naturally when temptation arises and when problems come up. Just as naturally as a flower turns to the sun. I really like the wording in this uh, it's very beautiful. Um, none, none, emphasize, none, stop right there. None feel that they are too busy to pray. 
too full of business cares to spend an occasional 15 minutes to seek counsel from God. My brethren, make God your entire dependence. When you do otherwise, then it is time for a halt to be called. Halt. Stop right there where you are and change the order of things. So, um, a quick recap of like the different steps that we covered. First, we have find a solitary place. Find that place where you can have undisturbed, sanctified time with the Lord, right? Develop a habit of going to bed at a reasonable hour and getting up early. And of course, the rules for this can change sometimes depending on your situation. But develop a habit of going to bed at a reasonable hour and getting up early, protecting that time. Prevent distraction during devotions. Biggest distractions a lot of times are media, but it can be a lot of other things too, like what you have to do that day, um, etc., right? Four, be consistent in your plans on how to spend time through prayer and the word. Kind of have a plan for how you're going to approach things and make sure that you're always incorporating both prayer and Bible study. They go hand in hand. And then five, make your time a non-negotiable appointment with God. Every morning, it's a divine appointment. He's calling you to, to be with him, to spend time with him, to build a relationship with him. In the Bible, we learn of him, and in prayer, he becomes our best friend, right? <clears throat> Having a close relationship with God does not happen by accident. We must guard our set-apart time with God as sacred, for it belongs to God just as much as our tithes or offerings. I, I do personally believe this. It belongs, that time with God belongs to him as much as our tithes and offerings do. Daniel, he saw his time of worship and prayer as so significant that he was willing to go to the lion's den rather than give it up. So our question today is, are we committed to this? Are we this committed 